Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. saying earlier he is risen he is risen indeed if you've never been a part of a tradition that does that before this is a declaration we make every year on easter i say he is risen you say he is risen indeed and don't say it like a bunch of tired people say it like it you mean it here today he is risen he is risen indeed he is he is so risen that i tried to look like a preacher today and i'm first thing somebody said was who died and I said, nobody except for Jesus, but he came back. Boom, roasted. And it was good. And I am so excited you are here today for this uh, celebration. What we are looking at today is the culmination of our story. This is the centerpiece of who we are, the centerpiece of history. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we gather because this is good news because God didn't just send an idea. He didn't send a book. He did not send another religion or philosophy. He did not send another in a long line of beliefs. No, God became the very thing he wanted to say to the world. God became flesh and blood, fully human, just as we are And while we have certainly remembered his death this holy week, what we gather around today is this beautiful mystery that God did not raise an idea from the dead. God raised up Jesus Christ. God raised up flesh and blood. He raised up Jesus Christ in a new creation, physical, human body. He did not raise up a memory, he raised his body. And and my aim today is to proclaim to you, as we gather around this, why this is good news. Because every year, we, we, we come and we put on our nice clothes and we celebrate these things. And I always celebrate and love to celebrate Easter, but as I was... Preparing for today, the thing that kept coming to mind over and over again is this year, I don't just believe Easter. I don't just celebrate it. I feel like I need Easter more than I ever have before. Have you felt that? I need what happened at Easter in my own life, in my own journey. You know, some folks, it's probably not that good news that Easter is around. Easter is not good news to self-sufficient, self-made, successful people. Winners don't really get Easter. People who stand confident in their, their righteousness, people who are just sure they are right about everything, those are the kind of people that Easter might be a good idea, but it's not much good news. They can have the confident facade that they have it all together, but they don't need a God who got out of the tomb. They can believe in Easter the same way they believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States, but knowing and believing that George Washington was the president of the United States doesn't change much for us, does it? When you're riding high, when you have all your ducks in order, 
When you're settled and sure on everything that you know, it's fine if Jesus just simply raises from the dead as a nice idea. He can remain this good, spiritual, inspiring ideal. But for the rest of us, for those of us who are weary, for those of us who are doubters, for the screw-ups, for the sick, for the barely getting by, for the failures, for the anxious, for the worn down. I think we need more than a good, inspiring feeling today, don't we? We need an empty tomb. We need flesh and blood Jesus, not idea Jesus. We need the, the death that you and I have felt, this death that has felt near to us even in the past month. The grave that sometimes feels like it's winning, if we're honest, we need that death to be overcome. And I have a feeling today that, that we're not in a room full of self-sufficient people who can just sit here and be settled in our belief. I believe we are in a room full of people that I know and love, and I know that they need Easter too, as much as I need it as well. We need a flesh and blood Jesus. We need someone who got up out of that tomb and walked out. Know this morning that we needing that is not a weakness. It is our strength. This does not disqualify you to need Easter. In fact, it qualifies you for what it is bringing to this world. We're going to look today at this story of a man named Thomas who in the days after the resurrection, he shared that same need for something more than an idea. Look with me at John 20 on the screen. It says, Now, Thomas, also called Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Have you ever felt like you were the only one who, in the crowd of everyone else, wasn't spiritual? You ever been in that room full of a bunch of Christians and it feels like everybody's getting it and you're not? You're just not feeling it? This is where Thomas was in this experience. If you felt that Thomas understands. Just before this in John 20, Jesus appears to his disciples, but for whatever reason, Thomas was not there. Now, perhaps it's mundane business. Maybe he's just going out to get something to eat. Maybe he's clearing his head. After all, he did just witness his friend be brutally murdered. Maybe he's walking the streets of Jerusalem, processing the trauma of such a death. Whatever the case is, we don't know. It doesn't say in the story. But everything we see here, Jesus comes and he misses out on that. And because he misses out, he had this hard time believing based upon the experience of others. It's difficult to believe when you're experiencing something different than everyone else, isn't it? And rightfully so. I mean, how many of you would simply accept that your friend who was just brutally killed would just days later show up and visit your friends? Thomas was a man who has 
this unfortunate distinction of getting a 2,000-year bad rap. What do we know Thomas as? Doubting Thomas. It's unfortunate and it's unfair because this is what he's become known for. And this is one of the worst habits of religious folk. We like to take people's weaknesses and worst moments and name them by it. And so for 2,000 years, this man's been called Doubting Thomas, even though it's not found in the Gospels, and even though Jesus never spoke those words about him. Jesus does not name us by our weakness. Jesus does not name us by our worst moments. Jesus calls us by the name that he knows. And chances are you've walked through some hard places too. You found yourself, like Thomas, doubting or questioning. Maybe you felt just like he did that everyone else is in on the action and you are on the outside looking in. That's why I love this detail here in the story today. Look with me here in verse 26. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Now, that means a week had passed at this point. A week between Thomas being told Jesus showed up and where we are in this story. So this is a week of wrestling with difficult questions. This is a week of wondering, why in the world can I experience what they do too? It must have felt so isolating. I can imagine those weren't easy days to walk through with Thomas. Like he was on the outside looking in. And yet, what this detail makes clear is, I love this. It says Thomas was with them. I want you to permit me for a moment to have a mini-sermon within the sermon. What we see here today is that through these seasons of doubts and questions and spiritual emptiness, I know we all go through those. And when we face doubt and questions and emptiness, it can feel like the right thing to do is to pull away, is to isolate, is to walk back from community. Now, credit the disciples here for not pushing him away, even though he's struggling to believe, but they're keeping him near. And I think this speaks to us Christians who are churchgoers. When people in our church family are are going through hard seasons of faith and questions, go out of your way to welcome them. Go out of your way to make sure you know that they know that they still belong. Doubt does not disqualify our faith. In fact, doubt is often one of the steps on the road to where we actually find the clarity that God is leading us to. So it's our job as believers, and I think as a church we're doing a fairly decent job at this, of welcoming people in their questions, welcoming people in their doubts and confusions, and not pushing them away. Because I believe, this is a conviction of mine, that church should be this place where we belong even when we are struggling to believe. Belonging comes even when believing is hard. You believe that? Let me speak to those of you who are doubting, who are questioning, who are feeling like you are on the outside looking in. Don't self-isolate 
Don't pull away. Ask the hard questions. Share what you feel. You still belong, even when it is hard to believe. I promise you. Thomas didn't stop being a disciple when doubt came. He continued to follow Jesus together. Our story here makes this abundantly clear. Let's keep reading here in John chapter 20. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, there's a lot of profound details about this passage, but I want to begin with this very strange detail for our Easter Sunday. And that is that Jesus, after the resurrection, has scars. Jesus still bears the scars of his death. Have you ever wondered why Jesus still has these scars? I mean, if God can have the power to raise him from the dead, surely God has the power to make the scars go away. Why is that? Now, there are theological treaties written about why this is happening, why Jesus still has these scars. But I want to tell you why I think Jesus still has these scars. And the reason is that after the resurrection, we still have scars too. We still bear the scars of, of the world that we live in, don't we? We still have the wounds that we carry into the world even after the resurrection, don't we? Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you've not come here today gathering on this Easter Sunday fully formed spiritually. That you still bear some measure of wound, some measure of scar, some measure of battle that you carry into a room like this. And even as you sing, you keep that within you knowing that these wounds, that these scars, some of which are visible, some of which are not, may not be appropriate for a day like this. But at the resurrection of Jesus... He still bears these scars. Instead of removing the wounds of crucifixion, God instead redeems the wounds of crucifixion and gives them to us as a means of identifying with where we are, with what we feel. The resurrection does not dull the solidarity of God in our suffering. I used to struggle to connect with Easter Sunday. I get the cross. I get suffering. But resurrection and Jesus feel so far away from reality. And today we see that in reality, Jesus is not far, but still bears the same scars that we do as well. Resurrection does not dull God's solidarity with you where you are, with what you feel. It does not remove him from what we suffer. Instead, the scars of Jesus at resurrection actually allow him to enter fully into ours, into what we feel, into the pain that we carry. The scars of Jesus' resurrected body, they are a sign to us today that no wound that we carry cannot be redeemed. 
No scar that we bear cannot be redeemed. In fact, it may be those very scars by which the resurrection breaks through, by which his restoring power begins to take root. Now, we Western folk, as we look at this story, we like to look at this scene as Jesus offering to Thomas this empirical proof of resurrection. He's saying, here, look, now that you can see and touch this, now you believe. And maybe that's the case. But Thomas, he can touch Jesus and and therefore believe him. That's true. But I think there's something else happening here. If you notice here, the story never mentions Thomas actually doing it. It never shows Thomas walking up and touching his wounds, even though most of art throughout history that has displayed the story has shown Thomas sticking his hand out and touching the wounds. Now, maybe it happened then, maybe it happened later. It does not say it in the story. And yet, he still says, my Lord and my God. He cries out these words. This word, Lord, karos, karios, means the one I belong to. This is a declaration of faith from Thomas, and it's also a declaration of belonging. This is the one to whom I belong. It is that declaration. It's amazing that not only does Thomas see Jesus, what's a greater miracle, the miracle you and I need today, is that Jesus sees Thomas. Jesus sees Thomas in those questions. Jesus sees the questions he's thinking and feeling. He feels the doubts that he feels. And Jesus chooses to meet Thomas where he is, not when he gets his stuff together. Meets him right where he was. Now, Jesus tells him, sure, don't doubt, believe. But he does that not with condemnation. He does that as an invitation. He doesn't condemn his doubt. He says, here, come and see for yourself and you can believe. He doesn't believe because he just sees Jesus. He believes because in this moment, Thomas sees something that you and I need to see. That Jesus looks at us and knows that we are seen, we're known, and we are loved. We are seen, we are known, and we are loved by Jesus. Now, maybe this is surprising to you, but Easter is the hardest week to figure out how to preach for me. It's so hard. It's not because there's not anything to say, clearly. There's plenty to say, but it feels so big, so daunting. This is everything. And I for many years, felt bad about this. I felt kind of shameful, to be honest with you. I, I, I was preparing and thinking, how, I, 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 why? I should be able to have something to say. And I couldn't figure out how to say it. Then I saw one of my heroes, Eugene Peterson. He was, he's a pastor and author, hero of mine. And he, he wrote in one of his books that he felt the exact same way and made me feel seen in that moment. He writes these words that I found so beautiful and profound. He says, I find it easy to teach you to explain what Jesus said. I find it easy to tell you what you do wrong to point out your sins. I find it easy to urge you to action, to give you advice and motivate you to good works. But on Easter, none of that sounds very important. What is important is that Jesus is alive. God is alive. And that means that neither you or I are in charge and God is. 
things. That means that you aren't coming to God, that God is coming to you. That means that you aren't needed anymore to take care of the dead Jesus because the alive Jesus is commanding a new life in you. I love that. I don't want to celebrate Easter when all we need is a dead Jesus with a good idea. Something should take place in and among us, if this is true, that isn't just talking about somebody that lived a long time ago and had a few good ideas. If he is risen indeed, as we declare, there should be something stirring in us. It's why, as I come to preach this morning, I could give you all of these facts and all of this study about how the resurrection could be proven by, 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 by theory and science, in fact, and that would be fine and good. I could talk about the atonement and all the theological ways that the cross accomplished something beautiful for us and the resurrection has brought about our justification. I could give you all of these thoughts about what the resurrection means to us, but guess what? Nothing replaces when Jesus walks into a room and you see him and you say, my Lord and my God, I can't preach that into you. But that can happen because Jesus is still walking in rooms that you'd least expect him to be in. Jesus is still walking into the places in our lives where we don't think he should be showing up. And it may not be a room like this, but it may. And it may be today. Today could be the day that Jesus walks in a room like this. And you see something you haven't seen. You see that Jesus sees you. That Jesus sees your story. That Jesus sees your doubts and your questions and your longings and your fears and your failures. And instead of saying, come and get your stuff together and meet me over here, he comes right where you are. As you are. And says, come and see. I could preach the best sermon in the world. I could proclaim all of the gospel. But nothing replaces the moment Jesus walks in that room and you see that you are seen. What I've been praying for all week, whether you are not a person of faith or whether you've been in church your whole life, is that this morning, supernaturally, Jesus enters this room in a way that you have not seen him before and you see today you are seen and you are loved and you are cared for by a God that meets you where you are. My prayer this morning is that you, in seeing that, cry out, my Lord and my God, meaning I belong to you. I have belonging. I know who I am. The greatest message I could give you today, beyond just the theological components of the resurrection, is this. You are seen. You are known. And you are loved right now. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to figure that out on your own. That is yours. And it's yours confidently today because the tomb is empty. He is present here with us. Seeing and knowing and loving us where we are. It reminds me of a story that I heard Brandon Manning write in a book one time. He says author G.K. Chesterton, who was a famous author in the early 1900s, Catholic writer, 
he became a Christian. And on the streets of London, a reporter comes up to him and he says, Sir, I understand that you recently became a Christian. Can I ask you a question? And Chesterton says, of course. So the reporter says, if, if the risen Christ suddenly appeared at this very moment and stood behind you, what would you do? And Chesterton's response was, well, he is. Immediately there was a confidence that Jesus was not just an idea that stood at a distance from where we actually are. The risen Christ was here. Again, I can't make you feel that and know that and believe it, but I know one who can. Something happens when he walks into the room in the ways that we least expect him to. When he shows himself to us and reveals today that you didn't just gather in this room to be inspired by a good idea. You didn't walk in this room because our religion is better and more evolved than everybody else's. You didn't walk in this room because we got the Bible more figured out than everybody else. You walked in this room today because Jesus got out of a tomb. And if that is true, may it stir the kind of people that we can be as a result of. May our hearts today look and see and respond to the Christ that meets us where we are. One of the ways we celebrate this together is through communion. Now, this is something we do every week because we want to remember this every single week. If you're new here, let me explain. We take this. This juice represents Jesus' blood shed for our sins. The cracker representing his body broken for us. This is something you don't have to participate in, but we'd love for you to do this. This is a reminder. There's some on the table back there. There's some up front, some in the lobby too, if you didn't grab one. This is a reminder week in and week out that Jesus meets us where we are, as we are. And as we take these literal, tangible reminders, as we taste and see the goodness of God, we know that God sees us, that God knows us, and God loves us right where we are. If you are wrestling with faith or questions or doubts or confusions, if you want to take that step of faith and follow Jesus, we have folks in the back who can be praying with folks. We'd love to do that. Anything we can pray with you about, any struggle you're facing, every fear or struggle that's happening, we, we love praying for people. So we're going to have folks in the back that we would pray with you as we continue on in worship. But as we do, let me pray for us as we move forward in worship and turn our eyes to the risen King. Lord Jesus, the one who is risen and reigning today, and even as you are enthroned in heaven on high, we know that that throne is not at a distance from where we actually are, but... Your word says you're not only enthroned, but you are near to the brokenhearted. So Jesus, by your supernatural power today, would you surprise us in the same way you surprised Thomas? Would you enter into our stories in ways that we do not expect? Would you invite us forward to see for ourselves what life and faith 
and hope can be in you. We lay down our old lives. We take up the new one, your life. Not in our perfection, but in your perfection. Not in our record, but in your record. And we follow you forward into resurrection, Lord. We pray this in your name.